Dongshan's fourth rank, approaching from concurrence. No need to dodge when blades are crossed. The skillful one is like a lotus in the midst of fire. Seemingly, you yourself possess the aspiration to soar to the heavens. Please sit comfortably. I'm sure everybody has heard quite a bit about Dongshan's five ranks. Um, Ross Bolliter is a world-renowned expert in Dongshan's five ranks. But I'll give just a little history, just to position ourselves, that there are teaching presentation um, originating from Dongshan Lianjie, um, originally depicted in his teaching poem, The Song of the Precious Mirror Samadhi. And the five positions try to elaborate the interrelationships between the particular and the universal. And they're sometimes symbolised in the Soto tradition in terms of lord and minister, host and guest, the upright and inclined, or the teacher and the student. So following from Dongshan's teaching of the five positions, his disciple Saoshan elaborated on them extensively. And although interest in the five ranks declined, uh, after Saoshan's line, um, which died out, um, but Dongshan's lineage was carried forth through another one of his disciples, um, Yunju, who didn't seem to be that interested in the five positions or the ranks. Um, nonetheless, they were adopted by the Linji house, by Fenyang, and then in the 11th and 12th centuries, um, there was a renewed interest in them, spurred on by Fushan Faiyan. Um, ultimately, the ranks pass, were passed on to Tuso Yiqing. Um, Dogen wasn't enthusiastic about the teaching of the five positions, and I'll talk about that in a, a later. But um, eventually, in the 17th and 18th century, um, Soto monks in Japan um, were inspired by Hakuin's interest and commentary on the five ranks. And the five ranks form part of the Rinzai tradition to this day. So the whole of Dongshan's poetic endeavour was to make a fist of some pretty philosophical stuff um, with an intellectual heritage that traced back to Nagarjuna, uh, the Madhyamika and Huayen philosophy. This was all an attempt to elaborate a worldview which was referenced by the Heart Sutra 
Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form, which we chant every day in the session. Dongshan's concern, and ours, is the mutual co-arising of the essential and the contingent, the straight and the crooked, the phenomenal and the universal. And the very titles of the ranks via Ross's and Peter Wong's translation, uh, the contingent within the essential, the essential within the contingent, arriving within the essential, approaching from contingent, which is what we're looking at today, and arriving at concurrence. So what do you say? Does the Dharma have aspects or positions or ranks? Dogen was scathing oftentimes about Dongshan's ranks um, in his Shunju section of the Shobo Genzo. Um, he said, if the Buddha Dharma had been translated merely through the investigation of differentiation and oneness, how could it have reached today? Peasants or stray cats who never understood the inner chamber of Dongshan and have not passed the threshold of the Buddha Dharma, mistakenly say that Dongshan guided students with his theory of five ranks of differentiation and oneness. This is an inadequate view. You should pay no attention to it. Do not mistakenly say that Dongshan's Buddha Dharma is the five ranks of oneness and differentiation. Which is probably a bit of a relief. <laughs> <laughs> and in a way, he was right, wasn't he? If you feel your body on the mat, is that the fourth position? <laughs> is it the fifth position? Is it the 26th position? The Dharma doesn't have positions. It doesn't have ranks or sides. Five or otherwise. As the Shadoka suggests, it is beyond philosophy. So Dogen's caution was more of an approach, just ensuring that we don't make a philosophy of Dongshan. Especially with these big grand ideas, form, emptiness, we should be really careful. Whatever Dongshan says or Zhao Zhou or any of those wonderful, venerable old teachers have said everything they said, everything they have said is just glints in the gold stream that is our life. No matter how beautiful their words are, no matter how they complement and reflect our deepest aspirations, they're just like the sun that can't enter the water. We can't and shouldn't cut and dice this amazing place into aspects and formulations. After all, where would, where would we cut? Cut right here. Such is the beauty of Zen practice. It's good to know that whatever tangles we get ourselves in, the ground of practice will always and unceasingly offer us today. This is its virtue and this is the immense depth and reach 
of practice. Our live stream is never ceasing, and in our bellies and hearts, in our tiredness, in our pain, in all we have, all of it is incalculably eloquent and never ceases to offer exactly what's necessary. So even after all those cautions, we can and probably should lean towards the verse and open to what that great old teacher is saying and allow that he probably wasn't presenting any ranking at all. No need to dodge when blades are crossed. The skillful one is like a lotus in the midst of fire. Seemingly, you yourself possess the aspiration to soar to the heavens. Dongshan is right here with us, inescapably so. No need to dodge when blades are crossed. So what are the cross blades of your life? The job, the relationship, the purchase, the mending, the longing, the confusion. Each one is an invitation to explore the very particularities of being human. This invitation is offered not in order to access the Dharma, but as the Dharma itself. And that's exactly the gift of Dongshan's verse. It's heartbreakingly inclusive and leaves nobody and nothing out. No need to dodge when blades are crossed. Sometimes pain in the heart feels like it will never budge. Sometimes a vexed friendship feels like it will never repair. Sometimes a sense of estrangement from others feels like it's installed forever and is firmly rooted as a mountain. No need to dodge. Dongshan invites us completely into the way with no need to prove ourselves or account for ourselves or to gain subtle entry or to provide any evidence of access. Right here, Right in this circumstance, right in this struggle, we are already skillful. There's also another angle on those cross blades. In the Heart Sutra we hear, form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. Exactly. No need to dodge. No need to make something out of emptiness. No need to pick up on forms. How can we dodge this? Everybody has their own name. The next line goes, the skillful one is like a lotus in the midst of fire. So how about us? Are we skilled with handling fire? What kind of fires are we playing with right now? The ones on repeat about what we said or what we did or what he or she or they or it did or what ills or good fortune has befallen us. That's just the same kind of fire, albeit without the fancy philosophy of Dongshan. 
but it offers the same kind of heat. And importantly, we see right into the lotus sitting there, blazing in the middle. That's us. I often wonder about what kind of questions we get to ask in Sushin and how our questions change as time falls off a cliff. Sushin appears sometimes as our one great chance to settle and touch that which is essential to our lives and peer into those unsaid and unspoken things that just don't come up when we're not on session. It seems that we get to see more of the subtlety, the layers and depths of our concerns and preoccupations, the zazen, the silence, and all the forms of session sharpen and gather our attention, and that in turn stills our waters and seems to uncover questions that emerge from our depths. There are plenty of questions that emerge from Dongshan's verse. Like, when Dongshan says, the skillful one is like the lotus in the midst of fire, what kind of skill is that? We hear the birds outside, the sun comes in through the window, our knees hurt. Can we say that all that's a skill? We gathered ourselves here, we sit together, we take time out to encounter what we are. We can't say that that's not a skill. At the same time, who can trace any of those exhaustible causes and effects? Everybody here is fortunate. Everybody here is blessed to find this, transforming us, orienting us, and opening us towards what's essentially all our own. In Uji, Dogen says, a way-seeking moment arises in this mind. A way-seeking mind arises in this moment. Zazen touches and unfolds us touches us and enfolds us completely open, without reserve. Everything is exhausted and is laid to rest. The wind in the trees carries us, holds us in deepest intimacy, beyond safety, beyond risk, beyond courage, beyond the tangles of our mind. Through the leaves it goes. Each leaf moves and dances. Nothing gets in the way. And from that dance, what do we get? What can we take away from that? This lotus in the midst of the fire, how long will it last? This infinitely tiny, precious thing paper-thin thing, showing itself for just a night and a day. How can it possibly survive such a great conflagration? 
We know how. Listen. Can you find a trace of the lotus anywhere? Can you see anything that's not fire? Where is there to hide? Everything is in plain sight. The lotus sits in the midst of the fire. What are its characteristics? Dongshan talks about lotuses, but we know that he means you and me. The last line of the verse is mysterious and it's a little bit funny. It goes, seemingly, you yourself possess the aspiration to soar to the heavens. Seemingly. I can almost see a kind of wry smile on Dongshan's face. Other translations of the ranks don't have this seemingly. They use words like, um, clearly they have the ability to soar to the heavens, or they have a natural determination to ascend. Seemingly keeps it all grounded somehow. So I just want to finish by painting a picture of a painting, um, famous image by Bruegel uh, of the fall of Icarus. Um, the painting is called Landscape with the Fall of Icarus. And if you know the painting, it's the strangest portrait of Icarus because all we see is a big frame of a medieval scene where there's fishermen and bakers and mothers and fathers and children playing and the whole scene just goes off across the hills and yet the title, Landscape of the Fall of Icarus, and you scour the painting, where is this Icarus? And then just in the corner, there's just two legs sticking out, <laughs> splashing <laughs> in the water with a little hand, <laughs> which is just waving. <laughs> um, and nobody seems to notice nobody's, even the fisherman who's dead close to Icarus is just pulling in his net. <laughs> Seemingly. But there's also something magical in the seemingly. Every time we pass into the boundless space of the mythological, every time we encounter the deeply blessed and venerated place that's our art, own lives. Every time we enter that heroic spirit to ascend, we turn towards a gift that we encounter every second, every breath. And we can't say that we remain unchanged. I'm really grateful for that spirit. There's something to that spirit that wills our ascent to the heavens. Because Zen isn't nihilism. It's not an anti-institutional anarchist spirit present in medieval China. Zen is 
deeply involving the matter of me and you and the heavens. So, William Carlos Williams, the poet, uh, responded to the painting. He actually responded to a verse of W.H. Auden. But he responded to the painting Landscape with the Fall of Icarus in 1962. Um, And it goes like this, his response. According to Bruegel, when Icarus fell, it was spring. A farmer was ploughing his field. The whole pageantry of the year was awake, tingling with itself, sweating in the sun that melted the wing's wax. Unsignificantly, off the coast, there was a splash quite unnoticed. This was Icarus drowning. I hope everybody has a splashy afternoon. (laughs)